MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Coming up, we'll be speaking to the Woodford Reserve's master distiller emeritus, Chris Morris, an old buddy who is a uh, wellspring of whiskey knowledge. I'm talking to him. And then following that, my old pal, G Love of G Love and Special Sauce fame. So a week ago, Saturday, March 25th, I was at a dinner party with some friends who were all in my age bracket, late 40s, early 50s. And we got talking about how once you hit 50, you can start to see the shadow of a social security check creeping across the lawn or I guess even more grimly, you become more acutely aware that, you know, your life has a, an expiration date. Now, one of the reasons for this is that more and more people you know start dying of things like cancer and heart disease. Look, we all understand from an early age that the death rate's holding steady at 100%. But it's not until middle age arrives that you start to wonder more often, you know, when the hell the bell might toll for you. So during that conversation... At my friend's dinner party, I brought up the great Warren Zevon's final appearance on the David Letterman show. It was October of 2002, I believe. Uh, Zevon had recently been diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, and he, he didn't have long to live. So Letterman devoted the entire episode to Warren Zevon, which was awesome. Now, at one point during the interview, Letterman asked Zevon about the differences in recording you know, before and after his cancer diagnosis, to which Warren famously responded. You know, you put more value on every minute. You do live. I mean, I always thought I kind of did that. I really always enjoyed myself. But, yeah. but it's more valuable now. You're reminded to enjoy every sandwich and every minute mm -hmm. of playing in the, with the guys and, and being with the kids and everything. Enjoy every sandwich. That's stuck with me ever since. It hit home back in 2010 when my brother Brian died suddenly. And uh, last week I was reminded of it again in the uh, harshest of ways, um, as uh, cruel fate would have it. While I was at that dinner party out here in L.A., one of my oldest and dearest friends, Mark Dent, suffered a fatal heart attack while on vacation with his wife, Bridget, in Mexico. And Mark was 54 years old. I struggle with whether or not to talk about Mark and his passing on this podcast, but I decided to for two reasons. The first is that Mark was a guest on this show a while back. He, uh, he owned a coffee shop back in Havertown, PA called House Cup. And so we did a whole segment about Java. And Mark really knew his stuff. I mean, he started off in, in the finance world, but then, you know, when he got into his 40s, he pivoted into coffee and he really got into it. I mean, he knew it inside and out. And Mark was a natural conversationalist, just really fun to talk to. He knew how to entertain people. Uh, and in fact, the week before he died, a friend of ours was inducted into the Mummers Hall of Fame, the famous Mummers in Philly. And, and at the big celebration uh, for my friend Richie, who had gotten in, Mark got up and, and gave, I wasn't there, but apparently gave a brilliant speech that had everybody rolling in the aisles. So in another life, Mark must have been a talk show host or something along those lines. The other reason I mentioned Mark here on this show is Captain Nightlife. That was Mark's nickname back in college. Uh, we went to Temple University together, and no one, and I mean no one, loved to go out and party more than Mark Dent. Hence the nickname, Captain Nightlife. Mark knew every drink special happening every night at every bar in town, and he made sure we didn't miss out on them. And this was important because we were all fucking broke in college. Not a problem, though. Not not when you got Mark Dent. Mark knew that 
Roosevelt's Pub offered all you can drink for $8 on Wednesdays. And then on Thursdays, it was 10 bucks. All you can drink at a spot called The Bank. A lot of the boozy skills I eventually utilized in my career, I learned from hanging around with Captain Nightlife. Uh, first and foremost, how to hold court and philosophize in a bar. Mark was like a cross between Confucius and Bukowski. You know, when he, when he spun a yarn, everybody paid attention. But most importantly, he was one of the most generous, fun-loving, and loyal guys I knew. Mark was the real deal, as true a friend as I've ever had, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm really going to miss him. Nature's first green is gold. Her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaves a flower. But only so an hour. Then leaves subsides to leaf. So Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down to day. Nothing gold can stay. That was a Robert Frost poem that I've always loved. So on a, a lighter note, I went out this week to a an event for Woodford Reserve. As you may or may not know, Woodford Reserve is the presenting sponsor of the Kentucky Derby. They've been so for a long time. And um, they were doing an event here to promote their $1,000 mint julep, which they create to uh, raise money for various charities and such. And uh, the, the party was up at a house, a private home up in the Hollywood Hills. It was a beautiful, nice thing and a lot of, lot of great whiskey flowing. And I got to talk to a very special guest at that party, and here's a little snippet from the interview. Joining me now on location at a very shishi exclusive home in the Hollywood Hills is one of the finest people to ever make whiskey, and this is a real treat to have him here. He is the master distiller emeritus of Woodford Reserve. I've known him a long time, and it's so good to see him. Chris Morris, how are you, buddy? I am so good to see you. So good. Great. It's great to see you, man. We, we were talking earlier off the air when the last time we saw each other, and we're not sure when it was, but I thought it might have been. Chris is such an innovator in this business, and especially with barrel finishing and whatnot. And many years ago, you tried finishing in maple barrels and yes. talk a little bit about how difficult that was isn't amazing how hard, we can't remember exactly the date but having our own cooperage we pioneered making barrels out of non-oak first ever we made barrels out of cherry pecan hickory ash sassafras birch beech and maple and put fully mature wood for reserve in those unique barrels for a finishing. Some of them worked fabulously. Some didn't work. That's why you try things. And the maple wood finish, as we called it, was just a terrific flavor profile. It was such a great whiskey. But the problem no, is yes. there were problems. That the maple staves, in order to craft those into barrels... Talk about that. Very difficult, right? Oh, yes. Our cooperage team hated when I walked in the door. Like, what are you going to make us do next? Because maple is brittle. It doesn't bend easy. And, of course, barrels, you have to bend staves. Uh, we couldn't char the barrels. You only could toast the barrels. And they leaked like sieves. So it was a painful learning experience. But what we chase is flavor. So it was will we were willing to put up with all that pain to make something that no one's ever done before. The first barrels ever made out of sugar maple. And it was 
I just remember that being, that's a whiskey that stuck with me. And this was yes, back in my yes. early part of my career and it just stuck with Any plans that ever do something like that again with that particular? No, no. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, no. <laughs> By the way, I wish you guys could see Chris's expression. He's just like, no, hell no, we're not doing it. Uh, but Chris, so what are you doing out here in L- in LA? We just we were at a little uh, cocktail reception at the Edition Hotel on Sunset, and now we just came up to this to this house. So what are you doing here in LA? Well, we're making one of our very infrequent trips to the West Coast, which we love to come out to, but it's just so far away from Kentucky and from our normal activities. But this is special because we're going to have Derby 149, a month away. The Kentucky Derby's 149th running. And this is our 24th year of Woodford being the first and only official bourbon of the Derby. So we're out doing a little Derby talk. We're going to have, we're having mint juleps and hot browns and good old Kentucky Derby cuisine. And we're just having fun. It's amazing. Now, how long have you been at Woodford Reserve? I've been at Woodford since the beginning of the brand, and I've been master distiller for 20 years. So how many years total is that? That is over 30 years. Jesus. Now, how did you, I mean, you're, if there's a, a Mount Rushmore of people that are still around, well, you're on you. it, right? So how did, tell, talk a little bit about how your career got started, how you ended up, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Well, we've just been cautioned to be a little bit quiet here, but uh, I'm very fortunate. My father joined the company in 1946. My mother joined the company in 1952. Obviously, they weren't my father and mother at the time because they fell in love and got married, uh, having met at the distillery, and I'm literally a bourbon baby. So you, I'm whispering now, because while we're doing this, there's another demonstration going on about the hot brown. The hot brown, Which, by the way, let's talk a little bit about the hot brown. What is yes. it? It's a very famous sandwich. It's a famous hot open face sandwich created in Louisville 100 years ago this year. It's celebrating its 100th anniversary. It is a meal in a sandwich. And again, it's just a derby tradition to have a hot brown. And it's good for you, too. Oh, right? it's, yeah. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's bacon, ham, <laughs> cheese. What's, what's not to like? All the essential vitamins. <laughs> yeah, the, the vitamin animal. groups. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, You've been doing this such a long time, and you've you were around when bourbon, the brown spirits, mm-hmm. were in. Nobody wanted it back then, you know. And now That's you right. can't get enough of it. I know it. How do you? How does a brand like Woodford Reserve manage to keep up with the demand? Well, it it, it takes a lot of planning, takes a lot of money, takes a lot of investment takes a lot of rolling the dice, and we've been doing all of those. We have expanded the distillery, built more warehouses, added capacity, expanded our workforce. We started with nine guys. Now we have almost 100 people. Um, it's, it just takes a lot of work. But the key is as you grow and make more, you can't, can't cut quality. Yeah. So... That's the key, is doing what we've been doing that's made us so successful. We're just doing more of it. I want to ask you, Chris, because what I just talked about with the fact that back in the day, you know, you couldn't have envisioned this happening. Oh, absolutely not. What do you, what do you, is it, in my mind, I think of people like Dale DeGroff Mm -hmm. and people like that. Who spent some time with us at the distillery. What do you attribute the resurgence of bourbon to? Like yes. What, what 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 do you think? Let's go back. You know, we're talking thirty. Let's go back to the nineties. Yeah. And you know, nobody's there's not a a big no. rush on the bourbon. Nobody's no. worried about a, a shortage. Certainly. So, what do you attribute to the the you know rise of bourbon? Well, I, I'm. Believe the rise of bourbon has a couple of of uh, sources or inspirations. One have to give credit to the single malt Scotch. Single malt Scotch, when it started showing up in the U.S. in 1991, 92, uh, really excited premium consumers in whiskey that was really different and tastes good and had wonderful packaging. So now there's a a, a little bit of interest in whiskey, and that led to people trying whiskeys of many types and. A whole new generation tasted Kentucky bourbon and said, you know, this tastes pretty pretty good. And that 
started, especially with Woods Reserve, we sponsored a Manhattan competition because Manhattan's growing up in Kentucky, you drink Manhattan's, the rest of the world didn't know anything about them. So we started the Manhattan competition. And now, 21 years later, the Wood Reserve Manhattan competition is the longest lived cocktail competition in the world. And it's steps like that that start to reintroduce the flavor of bourbon, the flavor of cocktails. Because again, along with the decline of bourbon, people quit drinking old fashions. People quit drinking mint juleps. Quit drinking Manhattans. Cocktails were dead. I mean, a cocktail was give me a Cosmo. Exactly. Give I me mean, some. That's what not we're a, talking that, about. Was absolute. And yeah. All these other brands that, that that you know sort of. Yeah, and and it it was a slow process. I mean, then it just started gaining steam, gaining traction, and now people ask me, "Will bourbon stay? Will this this craze, this fad, whatever term you want to use?" And I said, "Yes. I cannot foresee." The consumer, all of us are consumers, of course. I cannot foresee the consumer going back to bland, no, commonplace not flavors. It's not going to happen. One of the things that I, when I think of you, Chris, one of the things I think of is you've, you're certainly in America, I think one of the masters of, of experimenting with finishes. And we talked about that earlier. Yes, yes. So the guy, I think, you mentioned single malt scotch, and I think the guy that sort of led the way was Dave Stewart at uh, at, at Belveni. Right? Dave, uh, Dave and uh, um, Ian Grieve and Bill Lumpston. So did you draw your inspiration from those guys? Yes, I did, and I've I've spent a lot of time with them over the years, and um, it's been it's been one of my great honors to have known them and uh, Richard Patterson and and just icons of the industry but if that so now do you what it, as look at this point in your career it's not like you're discovering new things i think you've you have to you have to seek that out right yes. you have to in order to keep yourself interested in or so do you have is there a is there a thing out there that you go i want to do this yeah. and nobody's done it and what is it there is, and I'm working and on it. And you're not going to tell and me. And I can't tell you about it. <laughs> but but there is, like, you you see. Yes. You see areas that have not. Yeah, reaching outside of traditional whiskey. Okay. And some other practices. But you're staying still within the bourbon. So, cause, so everybody understands that's listening is there are rules for bourbon. There are rules for bourbon. bourbon. But then yes. you can finish them. After you've yes. done that, and that's what yeah, what Chris we, has done. But are you talking about? Have you ever thought about just branching out and not being constricted, uh, constrained by the rules of bourbon and doing yes. American whiskey? Yes, since um, since we broke all the rules back in two thousand six with the first world's first Chardonnay finished whiskey, Wood Reserve Chardonnay finished the first whiskey to ever finish in a varietal barrel. Um, I haven't been concerned about names. Bourbon, I mean, obviously, I love bourbon as a tradition, heritage. But, you know, who who cares what you call it if it tastes great? And so I'm willing to go beyond the standards to make something that is going to be a fun experience for the consumer. So when can we expect to see this? That's what I want to know. Let's hope for two years from now. Okay. You heard it here first on what we're drinking. Um I love that we're whispering. Yes, because <laughs> we're at a we're, party. We're, we're at a party and we have to whisper. Um, <laughs> Chris Morris, it is a, uh, it's such a joy to, A, to see you again and have you on the show. I mean, you are truly. Uh, well, thank you. And it's so fun that you're with us tonight and we're going to have a great time. I wish, I wish all your, your uh, listeners I, could be with I'm us. I'm sure they wish that But too. we can't afford that. So, um, <laughs> but wait, real quick, what am I yeah. drinking here? I got this, it's like a, you talk about the julep with, yeah. with coffee in it. It's yes. so good. Yes. The, the addition, we've started the evening at the addition. Uh, hotel the edition, and bar. Knows, the edition, it's a hotel on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Yes. And th- they've created this drink for us. So it has um, uh, coffee, you know, sort of the the um, the espresso martini. Meets the mint julep. Me- meets the mint julep. It's phenomenal. It's in that awesome. It's such a good drink. Yeah. Is it something you could see serving at the Derby this oh, year? I could see drinking it at 6 a.m. 
I might have to come to the Derby this year. I'm going to have to see who I know at Woodford Reserve. Maybe I can yeah. hit somebody up and take care yeah. of me. Uh, anyway, um, Chris Mars, the master distiller emeritus of Woodford Reserve. Been a pleasure, man. It's a great pleasure. Good to see you, brother. Let's go get a drink. Let's do it. All right. Bye. As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. Their unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. Can we play around with my voice a little bit? Put a little sound effect on there? Oh yeah, that's it. Alright, the dictionary defines fresh as recently made or obtained, not canned, frozen, or otherwise preserved. And that same dictionary defines victor as one that defeats an enemy or opponent. This is fitting because when you combine the words fresh and victor, you get a line of all-natural clean-label cocktail mixers that kicks all the other mixers' asses. Fresh Victor is like the Liam Neeson of mixers. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Well, yeah, if great taste could kill, then damn right, Liam Neeson. Fresh Victor features a bunch of unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with no waste. None. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a deal to my listeners that should be taken immediately. Go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code FVDAN20. That's FreshVictorDan20. FVDAN20. You get 20% off your order. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. So she's my baby, my baby, my baby, and of course I'll do anything for Joining me now, one of my all-time favorite makers of music. On top of that, it's a pretty decent skier and just an overall <laughs> good guy. I know him as Garrett Dutton. Some people know him as Garrett Dutton. You, the world knows him as G-Love. Welcome, man. How are you? Hello, Mr. Dan. How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm good, man. We're I, I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, we were just saying last time we chatted, well, last time we hung was we were on the ski slopes. I can't remember what mountain we were on. Were we in Aspen? Well, we were we were in Snowmass, which is one of the four mountains Snowmass. in the Aspen area. Sure, okay. That's and what it was. So okay. what happened was I was snowboarding. It was very rough conditions that day. Very, it was a lot of snow, white out. You couldn't see. <laughs> Visibility sucked. And I was with some other friends, and I just couldn't keep up with them. And I used to be a really good snowboarder, but now I'm old, and I couldn't keep up. <laughs> so they leave, and then you and I are texting, and you're like, hey, I'm at Snowmass by myself. And I said, <laughs> and so I said, well, let's go, let's go boarding, you and I. As long as you promise not to bomb it too much, and the first thing you do is you just take it. <laughs> no, come on, man. No, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm making my old man turns, man. <laughs> I I think I got. Let me see if I can bring this up. I I actually queued up a video that I shot of you. Hold on, let me share this. And I shot this video of you, and this you're not gonna be able to see at home, but we'll we'll get we'll get Garrett to comment on this. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Here you are. We're going to get you coming down the mountain when he comes. Ready? There you are. Look at this. Wait, you almost go down. Oh! Oh, yeah, but I, no, but I didn't go down. See? Look at that, man. Look at making some turns. You can see, you see uh, Poconos. Oh, oh, that was, that was up, that? Race, race oh, was that? Growing up in the uh, Poconos oh. there. So that's why you see the form. 
It looks like I'm smashing the gates when I make my turn. Like I'm smashing the gates. <laughs> that was awesome. It was good. You 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 can ski, man. So you are yeah, out on tour. You, you're in you're in Dallas right now, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're going to be this week when this show drops. Anybody in the California area, uh, the G Love's going to be at the Troubadour on Thursday, April 6th, one of my favorite venues in all the world in West Hollywood, California. And then the following night at the Coach House in San Juan Capistrano, California on April 7th. You got a show on April 8th at the, down in Solana Beach, but it's sold out at the Belly Up Tavern, but you can get on the wait list for that. And then on May 2nd, he'll be at the theater at Madison Square Garden on May 2nd. Woo. So with this, train, with train, train. <laughs> this is exciting, man. It's good. To, it's great. You, you know, you, you put on a hell of a show, man. I, we, we, we talk about that Aspen. Thank you, man. We did the Aspen. We talk about all that snow that we were skiing. And so the night before it is a blizzard and G love is scheduled to play at the belly up in Aspen. And it doesn't look like you're going to make it. Tell the story about what you did to get to that show. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, the, actually the show, I woke up in the morning, they said, we're canceling the show. You can't get to Aspen. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> we're, we got to make this show. So gosh, I, you were we in were Boulder. Flying. You were in Boulder long, and you drove right. oh, from man. Boulder, I, Colorado. I guess, yeah. Yeah, long, yeah. No, that's what I was long story short. The bus, the, that's what's happening. The bus tried to go up and then literally started sliding off the side of the highway. So the bus, stopped on route at which point we had to basically cancel the show at which point i got on a horn i was like we're gonna figure out a way to get to aspen uh and maybe it'll just be just chuck and i the drummer because we do our duo show i believe this is what happened and we scoured all the rental car agencies at the aspen no at the uh denver airport and we got we got a rig we actually got a nice like Lincoln, you know, like full size SUV, like the expedition or whatever it is. And it was, um, it was nice. And then we got up, I swear to God, I almost like crashed us the minute we got on the highway. Um, just, but the roads were, were real, real tough and it was dangerous. But, um, yeah, I actually drove up, got the guys up there and, um, except for the one close call and yeah, we made the show. And it was a great show. It was so much fun. It was you. You seemed to be extra. I. You could feel that how jazzed you were, like the energy level that you had because you'd made it. You know, like I feel like that must have been a real right. There must have been a real feeling of exhilaration because it came through on stage. Yeah, sometimes you know it's just like anything in life. Sometimes you have those. There's sometimes the things that you really, you know, are challenging in your life, but you you persevere, make it through, then you get fired up. I mean. It certainly wasn't a regular day on tour where we're showing up in our boss and, you know, getting sleep in and uh, have the, the com- you know, the, the creature comforts that uh, make touring, um, you know, easier and uh, more sustainable uh, for, for, for the musicians. But, um, yeah, you know, long story short, we made it. We were hyped to make it. It was like one of those desperation things. Well, look, I mean, just, just to be honest, it's like, Look, you know, like we're we're out there, you know, you can look at any musician schedule that's on the road. We do, you know, three to five in a row, just like everybody else. And th- there's a reason everyone works that hard is because it's expensive to tour. It's expensive to be out there. And, you know, we, we want to, this is our livelihood. So in order to make it work, like everyone talks about inflation and stuff like that, it's really bad for our industry with the cost of gas, the bus costs, hotel costs, all these expenses we have on the road. So if we're, if we had to miss a show, Right. That that's a big hit to our month of touring because um, you don't take that much to the bottom line doing this thing. But all that's, you know, secondary. You know, we, we kind of play the music. That's what we love to do. And we were excited to get up there. It was worth it, man. It was a great oh, show. And so yeah, much we got fun. to hit the slopes the next and day. And you and I got out and, and you tried to kill me on the I was like, You son of a bitch. <laughs> Come on. You promised me you wouldn't go too fast. <laughs> you were just bombing, man. Man, come on, you're bullshit. Nah, it was But uh, you actually you, you Damn, but you told me you had a bad you had a bad injuries, right? You came off some terrible injuries. Well, yeah, and I fell that day and had a really bad fall, and that's what it kind of spooked me how uh, bad that fall was. But it was a great day anyway, man. The but that was, was before we linked. That was that was before we linked. Before so you think, and right? I linked up, yeah, it wasn't your fault. I don't blame you. <laughs> God, <man. laughs> you know what's really funny, man? I 
I'm sitting here right now in my desk and hold on. Look at that. I love that back. Hey, look at this. This is sitting on my desk. G Love (laughs) and Chuck Trees duo. General, eh, that's from Aspen. That's weird. That's just randomly sitting here. Okay, so you came like me. uh, You were born in Philadelphia. You came up in Philly. You went to Germantown Academy, right? I believe. Isn't that right? Yeah. And then, Ger- Germantown Friends. Germantown, Germantown Friends. Friends. Germantown Friends. So since we've last seen each other, uh, our Eagles lost the Super Bowl and the Phillies lost the World Series. Oh. How do we feel? Do we feel good oh, that we God. got there to the big show? Or do we? are we – where are we yeah. at? We feel good that unlike Julian Edelman, um, we did not lose $50,000 on the game, although we could blame Julian Edelman for – Jinxing us like he jinxed his buddy Tom Brady the year before, but his hundred dollars, hundred thousand dollar bet on the Patriots. <laughs> no, but um, but props to Julian. But I did see him drop that fifty thousand dollar bet in a tweet on the Eagles. He was so sure about the Eagles winning, as most people were. And um, yeah, look, man, that was a huge disappointment. I have to say that this show is called the Imbiber, right? I was so imbibed by that fourth quarter that. Um, <laughs> The, the, it was not that painful to watch. It just kind of slipped away like the rest of my night. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, look, that was a huge disappointment. And what a great season they had. And uh, look, they're a young team, although they just lost um, a lot of great players and coaches. So it, it just look, happens, man. It's so hard. It's just on that level. It's so hard in any of the sports. Uh, in anything to to make it to that big game. So you know, it just goes to show you. And I, I think at the end of it, it came down. It came down to like, dude, Patrick Mahomes and and Andy Reid. Just the, the experience that 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 even in, even though Mahomes is a young guy, uh, we all we all love Andy Reid being from Philly. And um, look, props to Andy Reid. And look, uh, like we said, the Eagles are a young young team right now, and and Hurts uh, has a huge future ahead of him. So I like looking it. forward to next year. I was you thinking I mean? of you because the Sixers are. <laughs> Get the Sixers are setting us up to disappoint us again because they they always tease that they're going to be there and they go. Out. But what I I, always, I wonder if you think this way because one of your one of your great songs is I seventy six, which was uh, what was hmm. that? Was that on? Yeah, it's that easy. Is that was it on that one? Yeah, yeah, it's easy. I started yeah. album. Yeah, and so I seventy six, I love, and it's a song that is about Philadelphia seventy sixers, and he name checks of Charles Barkley, uh, some other guys that are, they're probably lucky to be in that song, like Jerry Stackhouse, who, who knew, but. I, I ask you this. Do you ever think about this, G? Like, if the Sixers actually made it to the finals, that you, like the network, might go, hey, because what's the obvious song to run would be I-76. Do you ever think, man, I can make some dough. If, if they make it to the finals, maybe they'll pay me to use my song during the broadcast. Has that ever crossed your mind? Well, I look like we talk about it every year, and every time that the Sixers get a little momentum, you know, there's always people like hitting me up, being like, "Yo, you should read it." But just to be clear, except from the chorus, which is appropriated from the 1980s 76ers get along theme song, um, you know, the, the song's not even about the Sixers, except for a couple things that are my verse. It's mostly about like philly and the different roads from getting to mount airy to downtown yeah. and um you know smoking weed with your boys so um it's kind of um but yeah but that being said like yeah we probably should but yes <laughs> let's yeah, <laughs> You're don't hold your breath <laughs> no i mean like maybe maybe it'll happen you know maybe i don't know like it, it, this happened the same thing it's like that we they um my my buddy um Big D, um, Don McCluskey, he has a song called Unstoppable, and that was for the the um, for the Phillies. And last year, they recut a, a new verse, or they recut some of the vocals to match up for the current roster. So that was cool. Props to them. Unfortunately, the the other difficulty is that that actual track right is not digital because that was recorded in 1996. That is the age of analog recording for us. So that's on a two inch tape. So again, that that causes different problems to go in. It's not just like dropping in some files and you'd have to basically re re record the song. Yeah, we we just have to like go into a real studio, put it on on a put the tape up, even if the tape is still working. Uh, so there there's some you know technological 
um, problems with that. But yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Again, don't hold your breath. Don't hold my breath. <laughs> so you, when you left Philly, then you went to you went to Boston and you start playing around. I think uh, yeah. was it the Tam O'Shanter was the uh, the the bar where you kind of got discovered, right? Yeah, Tam O'Shanter in Brookline, Mass. That's where I met uh, my drummer. Um, and then we got then our then after that we put the band together. Um, and we used to play a lot of Irish pubs, including the famous um, Plowing Stars in Cambridge. And yeah, we it was it was an exciting year to go from a street musician to like a top you know club bar act, and then actually get a record deal with Sony Records. Nine months after we put the band together, our first show we signed with Sony Records and already had you know, Epic Records and had half of our our first album done. Um, so yeah, it was man that year, nineteen ninety two to ninety ninety three, and then in the 94, when the record dropped, looking back, it's one of the most exciting, you know, glorious times of my life. And coming up on 30 years, actually, um, next year is the May, this time next year, I think May 5th, maybe Cinco de Mayo is when their album dropped or sometime that week in 1994. So 30 years, man. <laughs> wow. Would Cold Beverage have been the song that sort of was the driver with getting you signed? Or was it, you know, that was the first hit? Actually, I... So that was the second single. The first single was a single called Blues Music. I think this song, Blues Music, was kind of the the demo from that actually ended up being up on the record. And I think that was the one that kind of got us signed. And But we had a great, you know, like our kind of 25 songs that we were rocking then, the original repertoire was, I mean, it's a shame that some of those tunes didn't, make um the album but um yeah i mean there's some a great batch of songs and look we just came along at the right time with doing something that was very timely um as far as you know we were the first generation of hip-hop kids that came of age as hip-hop fans but were rock and rollers folk singers blues people or just um you know jazz players like so the roots we're from Philadelphia. They graduated in 1991. Did you know any of them? I, I didn't know them in high school. Like they went to Kappa. I went to Germantown friends, but you know, like we all probably crossed paths. And shortly after I, I definitely became aware of them. Well, would um, Will Smith have been around that time too? No, cause Will Smith would have been like 86. So like he's Earlier. a couple years older than us. Right. So, okay. um, but yeah, but and yeah, but something like we all came up as fans of Will Smith, right? And as fans of the hip hop that was coming out of Philadelphia, New York. And so it, it was in our music. The Roots wanted to play the music that was hip hop with live instruments, which wasn't really being done at the time yet. And I somehow kind of lyrically uh, attached myself to hip hop. And um, I did what I was calling street side blues, which was basically like kind of taking snapshots of what I saw in the city of Philadelphia and writing about things like bike couriers and the basketball court scene and the homeless people and, you know, social dynamics, racial social dynamics that, you know, experience in the city and um, graffiti writers and just partying and skateboarding. And, um, and that was all the, the sauce that was in my, my lyrics. And, and then I started rapping them. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> One of the most impressive aspects of your career to me is the sheer breadth of artists that you work with. You collaborate. You really like to work with a lot of a lot of artists, and it seem you seem to do so seamlessly and, and across genres as well. I mean, uh, you know, from from Jack Johnson, who you you famously work with, uh, Donovan. Uh, Franken out. Am I saying his last name? Frankenwriter. Uh, Frankenwriter. Frankenwriter. Slightly <laughs> stupid. Uh, Zap Mama. You've worked with. Talk a little bit about that. About what you know. What makes you want to do that? Like you know, some some artists can be precious about you know. No, no, I want to do. I'm doing my own thing. But you seem to really thrive when you're collaborating with other artists. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really do it too much till like my first record. It was just the band and my rapping partner, Jasper. Uh, so we were more like, even though he had his own band, Jasper and the Prodigal Sons, and I had G-Love and Special Sauce, we did do like G-Love and Jasper gigs. Um, so that was that was a collaboration, I guess. But that was kind of like, we were a unit, right? And then um, 
And then the second record didn't have any features. The third record, I kind of reconnected with my high school band. And then the fourth record, Philadelphonic, was when we kind of discovered Jack and put him on. And I just wanted to record his song, but he didn't, he, he was like, no, can we do a collab? Can we do a duet? And I was kind of unsure because I didn't really know him, but I, we wanted to record a song, but I said, yeah, let's do it. And like that worked out great for everybody. And um, yeah. And then I, I, so I, so just kind of, that was the first kind of major one. And then in the two thousands, I did do a collaboration with slightly stupid. Again, they were just kind of, working on their demos and they actually came to Philadelphia to record with um, my road manager and my sound guy, Chris Benedetto, And they cut a lot of that big, their big record, everything you need at our studio in Philadelphia, Philadelphonic studios. And excuse me, they just gave me their demo and Chris said, yeah, the guys want you to get on track, whichever one you like. And I liked that song. Um, well, they were all great, but I chose Mella mood. And that was, so that was one. So I, it kind of crept up on it. Then, as kind of the mid 2000s i started doing a lot more collaborations and now i've just been doing a ton like but yes yeah, you mentioned that mama but look these days like people hit me on instagram it could be an unknown act you know and um basically if it's like a signed artist that i know that's part of my scene you know i mean like that's all good like i'll do something for you you do something for me if it's kind of an unknown person group um generally like with charge of you know, a, a fee to get me as a feature on their album. And then obviously some writing credit if, if I'm doing writing on their song, uh, but it works out well for everybody. And, and that being said, like I, I got, I, I'd love to work with emerging artists and, and then it's just an honor to get to work with established artists, but I've gotten to work with everybody from, you know, Dr. John. I was just on a new arrested development record. Uh, the la latest slightly stupid collaboration we did was everyday people remix, which was, Slightly stupid myself and be real from Cypress Hill. Didn't you do something with the Avid Brothers? Yeah, Avid Brothers. Uh, Avid Brothers. Um, they they produced my Fixing to Die album and they contributed heav heavily in every way and performance wise in that. Got to work with blues legends like John Hammond, Little Milton, Charlie Musselwhite. You know, gotten to work with peers that I admire like. Um, ben Harper. Oh, and wow, yeah. Great one. Michael Franti. And oh, man, he's the best. I saw Michael Franti in a little club show. He played the Beach Life Festival out here, and then he wanted to do a club show at this place called the Venice West, which is right near my house. And it's just a little bar. And, and I went and got to see him there, and it was amazing. By the way, speaking of collaborating, if you want, man, I'm happy to jump up with you at the Troubadour on Thursday. The, uh, okay, let's go. Let's go, Yo, baby. can I get a I cold beverage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, Fucking, man. They'll be throwing shit at the stage. <laughs> got any chicken wire? Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm going to bring up my friend Dan. But speak, who, speaking of, wait, hold on. <laughs> Spe speaking of collaborations, like people don't know, but we, we, we have a family connection. Uh, my father worked with your uncle, That's right. Dennis. And um, I'll never forget as a kid going to your cousin's you know, house, wherever that was in like Scranton, PA or Stroudsburg or wherever. Yeah, Stroudsburg in the Pope And um, Okay, it was Stroudsburg. And they had a men at work, men at work air guitar cover band. So they had like a light system in the basement and they were air, there was like a full band, except they weren't playing anything. They were just acting it out, right? To the men at work. But soundtrack. just men at work. And as like a little kid, I was like, oh, it was the greatest thing ever, man. I'll never forget it. Wait, is Men at Work Land Down Under? Yeah. What else do they have? Yes. <laughs> I don't get a name one. I can't. But they they I had, can't. had a couple on that record, though. Wait, well, name another one. Who can one. it be now? No, who can it be that's, now? Oh, that's right. Ba, 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 and, oh, wait, they got, all right, Down Under, who can it be now? It's a mistake. I remember that. It's a mistake. And then over <laughs> Overkill would be the only... The only other one, I'll let you guess. Wow, you got me, bro. How many streams? <laughs> how many streams on Spotify would you guess Down Under has? I mean, what a like hundred million, two hundred million, a billion? No, six nine hundred million. Six hundred and eighteen million. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then great, who great can it be song, now? Though. Has two hundred and twenty-three million. Jesus. Wow. Do you get paid for that? Does it make some money? 
Yeah. I think you get, I think it, it comes, it's look, streaming sucks, but when you're talking about that many streams, I think it's something like, I think it's like 4,000. If you own a hundred percent of the song, I think it's like $4,000 per million streams or something like that. So let's see 400, 4,000 million times. Yeah. No, it's times 600. 4,600 is 2.4 million or 240,000. I don't know. It's, it's pretty good. It's more than I made this week. That's all. Um, so listen, man, I'm, uh, oh, we, we mentioned, by the way, you mentioned imbibing and I've drank with you on numerous occasions. Uh, <laughs> including, I think the very first time we were in New York city, man, well, how that was 15 years ago, maybe longer. You know, like, do you, do you remember this? Like, we were in New York, and then we went out. And no. We I, 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 yeah, I, I do, yeah. And then we hung out in Phoenix. I don't remember that. You did a show in Phoenix, and I came, and we, we hung out after that. No, I remember that. And yeah. then Aspen. Yeah, and, and that was at Bourbon and Beyond the, Festival. Oh, that's right, at Bourbon yeah. and Beyond. That was in Louisville, Kentucky. No, I can't. I, yeah, didn't I come on? Yeah. Didn't we, I come on a podcast? But I think we did a live one at the backstage. But then yeah. I remember... I don't know. Oh, that I, was I my old show. Out. I don't know if it was that night, yeah. but yeah. Okay, I, I don't know if it was that night, but there was one time I was in Louisville when I was got to do all kind of crazy stuff. There's one bar that served the Pap, Pappy Van Winkle snow cones. That's good stuff. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what is your uh, earlier in the show? I had uh, I had Chris Morris on, who's the master distiller emeritus for um, Woodford Reserve Bourbon. What do you like to drink? Like, what's your go-to? And do you? Do you ever have a cup? You like to have a couple of drinks when you're on stage, or how's that work? Yeah, well, it's like this: like for the show, I drink tequila for the show. Right? Casa, you got Before the Casamigos, go okay. and maybe I sip. Yeah, this is what we've been rolling with. Um, and then, but on the late night, I'm kind of a Scotch guy or like a Manhattan on the rocks kind of guy. Okay. And then when I'm home cooking, when I'm cooking, I like to make myself a vodka or gin, extra dirty martini, um, and of course like to drink wine when I'm home having dinner. I don't really drink a lot of wine on the road because it's not really conducive to singing. And of course, wait, 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 stop. let me Michael stop. Let me beer. stop you there for a second. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> does the wine affect your voice? Well, red wine is, is a histamine. So, you know, an antihistamine like Sudafed takes away your mucus. A histamine creates it, right? So mucus is the arch enemy. Yeah. No, when I drink red wine, I get stuffy. That's what it is, no, right? It, it's a, yeah, yeah. So that absolutely. can make you so, sound nasally when you're singing. Well, it just it, it it's heavy on your vocal cords. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's an issue. It's something you're always trying to build. Other things that are histamines are like cheese, dairy, you know, stuff like that. So those are things to avoid if you're a singer. But Eddie Vedder, Eddie Vedder drinks like two bottles of wine during the show. Every show, he has wine bottle, and he he's got he's got a pretty good voice, Eddie, right? I can't say so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. You know, maybe he's got a. I don't. I don't. I can't answer that. That's just his steez. But um, but yeah. Um, and then of course I have my um, my beer. Uh, G loves the Juice IPA with Good Life Brewing, which is based in Bend, Oregon, and that's been fun. That's an ongoing collaboration. The delicious kind of we call it a crushable IPA. And we've had that for about, I think this is our fifth year. How so. big of a show would I have to have to get some of that sent to me? How big does my, I think I have the biggest booze show in the country and I, I don't know, no one's ever sent no, me this No, easy, man. You just got, yeah, just got to hit them up. They'll send you a case for sure. Well, listen, everybody out there, if you want to go see, if you want to go see G Love, go to philadelphonic.com. Like I said, if you're in the LA area, uh, this Thursday, April 6th, at the Troubadour, I'll be there. And then uh, the, on, on a Friday at the Coach House in San Juan Capistrano and the Belly Up, uh, well, that sold out. And then, you know, Madison Square Garden with Train on May 2nd. Philadelphonic.com is where you get those tickets. And uh, if you've never seen this man live, and is, it, it, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice because it's a party, man. It's a celebration. and you're, <laughs> But your songs are fun, but you're so, you got a lot of heart. In your songs, and you know, it you, you runs the gamut. I think of emotions that you feel, but mostly joy is what I feel when I go to a G Love show, and and the, everybody out there should try and get there. Well, dude, yeah, please, everybody come, and if you want to uh, 
get, it, get in touch with me. I'm on Instagram at Philly G Love, on Twitter at G Love Glove, uh, G Love and Special Sauce on Facebook, and like Dan said, philadelphonic.com. Uh, we can get tickets and also get our VIP storytellers, which actually I got to actually run because I'm. I got to go do the VIP storyteller set right now. All right. Well, hey. <laughs> so thank you, Dan, for having me, brother. Good having you. And now a word from one of our dream sponsors, Schmidt's Beer, circa 1950s. Schmidt, one beautiful beer. Beautiful. What makes Schmidt's of Philadelphia one beautiful beer? Blending does it. Schmidt's is a dry beer, a mellow beer, a hearty beer. Blended into one beautiful beer. Schmidt's of Philadelphia. Beer as beer should be. Schmidt's, one beautiful beer. Beautiful. Schmidt's is a dry beer, a mellow beer, a hearty beer. Blended into one beer, a light One beautiful beer. Schmitz, you're beautiful. And that's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. Um, I've got a uh, show coming up in New York City. I'll have more details probably in next week's show, but it's going to be May 4th at the Stand Comedy Club. The night before Cinco de Mayo, our fine friends at Cuervo are going to be sponsoring that. So the tequila will be flowing. I'll have details. You can look at the imbiber on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow the podcast, WWD underscore podcast, on Instagram. I want to thank Chris Morris for being on the show, the great G Love for being on the show, and of course I want to thank you. I know you've got a lot of options out there in terms of podcasts you could be listening to, radio programs, television, games on your phone, I don't know, lots of things to keep you occupied, and I'm always happy knowing that there are some of you out there (laughs) that like to be occupied by me in this show. And finally, next time you uh, are having a drink or two, please do me a favor and raise a toast to my, my dear friend, Mark Captain Nightlife Dent. I love you, buddy, and uh, we're all going to miss you. Well, I woke up this morning, rainbow Yes, I woke up this morning, rainbow filled sky. Oh, that was God telling me everything's gonna be alright.